and welcome to another action-packed, body-slamming episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. This week we are talking about one of the biggest and most memorable, for several different reasons, WWE pay-per-view, WWF pay-per-views at the time, of all time, but we're at the 1987 Survivor Series. We're going to be talking all about the 1987 Survivor Series today. We're going to be taking your calls, getting your thoughts on the show and your memories of it. If uh, you're listening now, give us a call. Our area code is 516-595-8295. Again, 516-595-8295. This is Tommy Fierro. Jumpin' Jay is on vacation this week, so he is not here, but taking his place is a very familiar voice here on the podcast, calls in each and every week, has co-hosted for me in the past when I couldn't be there, and that's Babyface Brian from good old Chico, California. Brian, it's me and you. What's our tag team name going to be today? Oh, shoot. The uh, Probably the Ultimate Survivors. How you doing today, Tommy? Good, man. Thanks for filling in for Jumpin' Jay. We have a, a great episode. I am now going to... Uh, give you the uh, captain's hat. You're going to steer the ship for the next hour, and I will be your co-host like I am for Jumpin' Jay. Excellent. Yeah, we've got uh, Survivor Series. We're coming up on the 36th anniversary of Survivor Series, and next week uh, we've got Thanksgiving falling on the normal show date, so Tommy's going to be very busy getting set to transform the wrestling collector in Stockholm, New Jersey, to the rock and wrestling connector or collector, the rock and wrestling collector in Stockholm, New Jersey. Tommy, I don't know if we're doing a show next week or not. We'll have to find out at the end of this show what the plans are. But this week, it's all about 1987, the very first Survivor Series. Um, my question for you: This time in uh, in history. WWF was hot off of WrestleMania 3's success. They had a lot of leverage against the pay-per-view companies. So their chief competitor, the NWA, they'd been running on Thanksgiving show since 1983 doing Starcades. So they'd had, this was going to be the fifth Starcade, and it was going to be the first foray into pay-per-view for Jim Crockett Promotions and the NWA. Vince McMahon businessman that he is decided you know what i don't want to let these guys get any more strong than they are i'm going to pressure the cable companies into not carrying the nwa's biggest show of the year and threaten them with no wrestlemania 4 unless they choose survivor series 87 uh what do you think tommy do you think that vince senior would have pulled a move like that or is that straight out of Vincent Kennedy McMahon's playbook, and do you think it was a great move to uh, basically uh, cut them off before they could uh, gain any mo- momentum in the world of pay-per-view? Absolutely. Uh, and, and no, I don't think that Vince McMahon Sr. would have done that, but guess what? That's why Vince McMahon Jr. took the whole operation to the next level, uh, more so than anyone in the wrestling business at that time would think or thought that was humanly possible. So, yeah, man, that's why I'm excited to talk about this Survivor Series today because it is uh, so newsworthy for that reason alone. This is the second introduction of the big four back then. It wasn't like it is now where, you know, there's a Raw on every week, a SmackDown on every week, an NXT on every week, a WWE Network, a pay-per-view, or the premium live event they call it now once a month. Back then, and this is 1987 we're talking about, there was only WrestleMania. And with the success of WrestleMania three, like you said, Brian, they added uh, the Survivor Series, and uh, that would be the two pay-per-views for 1987 now. The following year, 88, is when they would introduce the Big Four, the Big Four meaning Survivor Series, WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble, and um, and SummerSlam. But this is such a monumental event for that very fact that it is the first, uh, well, they today's generation called premium live event that took place after WrestleMania. And... Uh, it was a big one, it, and, and it was, you know, Hulk Hogan's team against Andre the Giant's team. Now, 
I mean, at, at the time, they really, 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 really did a fantastic job of capitalizing on the momentum they had with that whole Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant storyline. Now, WrestleMania was six months prior to this. I'll keep that in mind. And now here we are six months later, and now it's still Hogan and Andre. Now it's Hogan's team and Andre's team. And something like this was groundbreaking at the time. That you, you didn't ever see a situation outside of a, a, a war games where it's teams against each other, elimination style. And, and it was so cool back then, uh, uh, Brian, is that you, know, you, you were so excited to see, especially those couple Survivor Series, who was going to be on whose team. And it was always random, too, like, uh, you know, Coco B. Where's on Hulk Hogan's team? Wow. Or, uh, you know, uh, Butch Reed is on – it was like uh, Butch Reed's on Andre's team. Like, it was like pairings you weren't uh, accustomed to seeing on every week WWF programming. So it, it was – really outside-the-box thinking, in my opinion, for 1987, and I think it was a fantastic idea. And I continue to this day, even though it's 2023, and I really don't typically get excited about events. I mean, the big four, if you're in the wrestling business or love the wrestling business or associate with the wrestling business, if you're not still excited for the big four pay-per-views, then you shouldn't be in it, around it, or watching it. So, yeah, I, I'm so excited for Survivor Series, and obviously this is the first one, so that's why this is such an important episode to talk about. Definitely, and like you said, uh, Hogan Andre was uh, five, six months earlier, six months earlier, so this was actually the very first time that those two would get back in the ring together, so that's a huge draw for wrestling fans to see those two back in the ring with teams around them. They actually had a bunch of three-on-three elimination matches before WrestleMania three. so I believe in the lead-up to Survivor Series, Vince asked his guys, what are we going to do? And somebody said, you know those, those elimination matches in March? Those went over really well back in February and March. Let's boost it to five-on-five, get Hogan and Andre back together for the first time since WrestleMania three, and see what happens. And the NWA, they had just merged into their, uh, into their company, UWF. Uh, the old Mid-South from Bill Watts had been merged into the uh, NWA, so... I know people look at Starcade 87 and they see Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair in a cage match, and that's not super exciting, but they had a second cage match with Lex Luger and uh, Dusty Rhodes for the U.S. title. Uh, they had uh, the Road Warriors. They had a UWF title match between Steve Williams and, and Barry Windham. So it was a fairly packed card, and this really kind of helped to uh, uh, start the crush on uh, on NWA and really separate the WWF from NWA. So uh, we've got a lot of callers on the line. I will uh, uh, stop talking and we'll listen to a couple of the guys on hold now. Uh, first up, from Massachusetts, we go to Matt. Matt, how are you doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Tommy. Doing well. Hey, Doing man. Well What's up, brother? Week. How are you, man? What's going on, Tommy? Doing well. Uh, love the topic. I love the conversation so far. Um, I, I want to just say off the top, the whole you, you guys were touching on the pay-per-view and blocking the NWA and the cable companies. I, as an adult, you know, as a kid, I didn't know anything about it. Couldn't have cared less. But as an adult, I kind of look back on that, and I and I, I love everything about it. You know, I'm a I'm a I, I geek out on the business side of this stuff. You know, as as an adult and an entrepreneur and a you know business, you know, has kind of been weaved in and out of my life since you know childhood. And I just think that was just you know aggressive and bold, and I love everything about that. I I think it's genius, and you know, the 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 list of kind of genius business moves by Vince McMahon is a mile long, but um, you guys were touching on it. And I just, I just thought that, I I just think it's great. And, you know, maybe it's not best for the fans or the viewers, but I just, I just love aggressive, aggressive entrepreneurial business moves. And I just thought that was great. Um, Even if it wasn't, you know, best for the, best for the fans. Um, 
So the card, the card, the Survivor Series '87. You know, I I wasn't a huge fan of Survivor Series as a kid. You know, I I wanted to see the one-on-one matchups. I think I have a much better appreciation now for why it was formatted under this structure. And I, and a couple of things I wanted to touch on when I when I saw the topic was, you know, this was really a, in my eyes a way to put the vehicle behind certain people they wanted to kind of put a little push behind, right? Um, and you can see that through the results, right? The the tag team match, I think the Young Stallions were, were one of the um, survivors. And it's like, okay, they were trying to put a little bit of maybe momentum behind them. And and certainly the, the main event, right, where you had, oh, my gosh, Hogan was eliminated. Bam Bam's on his own against three guys and nearly pulls it off, gets – it's two-thirds of the way there, but it was like, okay, Bam Bam is clearly getting the push, right? I can look back and I can see that now. And and that didn't really, I think, come to fruition. I don't think he realized um, – he had some great moments, don't get me wrong, but my goodness, he, he, he was he was pushed up there. Um, you know, only, only Andre could, could knock him out. But I, I just think that, you know, in hindsight, looking back at this card, it's it, there's a lot of, a, a lot of really interesting – things that they probably put a lot of thought behind. Um, and, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about um, if you think this was a vehicle to kind of put the push behind some people, or I, I think the most obvious one is, uh, you know, you get to see these confrontations, but it's not one-on-one. So you get, you just, you, you, you leave the viewer wanting more, right? It's, it's just a tease. It's just a little, a sprinkling of Hogan and Andre, Um but yeah, that, so those are my those are my initial thoughts. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Well, great, uh, great stuff, Matt. What I'll throw out there as far as uh, a vehicle to push somebody is uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was only 26 years old, and they were looking for a number two babyface. Um, with uh, Roddy gone at WrestleMania three, they kind of spent the whole summer. They finally turned Randy Savage at the end of the summer, and uh, he was pretty firmly entrenched as number two behind Hogan but they still needed some babyface guys at the top of the card. So instead of bringing in a young 26-year-old Bam Bam Bigelow as a monster heel to go after Hogan, they brought him in as a babyface and put him on Hogan's team, which, great move. But another vehicle to push somebody is at intermission when the crowd was uh, away, they, they interviewed Honky Tonk Man. Jesse and Gorilla talked about the Jumping Bomb Angels, Jesse comparing them to Dynamite Kid and Randy Savage. Um But the biggest thing, I think, as far as a push was the Million Dollar Man. They showed all of his vignettes again. They went and showed you what his Thanksgiving was like, and they took this big audience that was expanded by having it Thanksgiving night with the whole family around watching, and they put a full five, six minutes of Ted DiBiase on the screen to introduce his character to the larger audience so that February 5th, uh, February, uh, yeah, February 5th, 1988, they could drop that huge bombshell of Hogan Andre on the Friday night main event and have Ted DiBiase be a huge character in the company. So, uh, Tommy, what do you what do you think about uh, the Ted DiBiase? Do you think that having him be pushed during that intermission segment was uh, much bigger than anything involving him in one of those two singles matches? Or uh, I'm guessing that's what you would think. Absolutely. And uh, to answer uh, Matt's question about uh, the pairings of the matches and the storylines within them. Here, here's the thing, man. Back then in 1987, Hulk Hogan was the hottest thing in the world, right? So if you were even associated with Hulk Hogan and on his side, I mean, that's that's a, a rub enough, in my opinion. So, I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow, you, you just mentioned, who was brand new to the company at the time. Yeah, he's definitely getting the rub being associated with Hogan. And uh, I like how they intertwined uh, – storylines into the matches as well. Like you would have guys that had a problem with each other on opposite sides. For example, uh, Paul Orndorff, I remember, I don't know the exact date, but I know it was maybe like it was like a month or two before that Survivor Series, he turned on Bobby Heenan and he fired him uh, because there was problems with Rick Root. So that, you know, Rick Root's on the opposite side of Paul Orndorff now in this match. And, I remember superstar Billy Graham and Butch Reed had a little feud going on at the time because 
I remember seeing them at a steel cage match in the main event of a show at the Brendan Byrne Arena in East Rutherford. So they, they intertwined the storylines uh, into the match as well, which I thought was you know a great idea. Uh, you look back on this card, man, there is so much star power on this show. I'm reading the results right now, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll read them real quickly, and then we can dissect them all. Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat, all on the same team with Miss Elizabeth as the manager. Again, listen to this lineup. Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat. That screams my childhood right there, those five names. Against Dangerous Danny Davis, Harley Race, Hercules, the Hunky Tough Man, and Ron Bass with Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart. I mean, that right there alone, all those guys in that one match, man, talk about star power. And then they had uh, the Fabulous Moolah, the Jumpin' Bomb Angels, Rockin' Robin, and Velvet Sky against Dawn Marie, Donna, Christentella, uh, the Glamour Girls, and Sensational Sherry. They had a tag team Survivor Series match, which was, uh, at the time, it was about 40 minutes. I remember that was a long time for a, a WWF-style match back in 1987. Uh, it was the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, the fabulous Rougeau Brothers, Strike Force, and the Young Stallions against Jumpin' Jay's favorite tag team, the Bolsheviks, Demolition, the Dream Team, the Heart Foundation, and the Islanders. And he had all the managers out there for that. Bobby Heenan, Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, Johnny Valiant, and Slick. And then, obviously, the main event, we were just talking about Andre the Giant, Butch Reed, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Rick Rude against Bam Bam Bigelow, Don Morocco, Hulk Hogan, Kempatera, and Paul Orndorff. So, uh, interesting because there's only four matches on this pay-per-view. Uh, again, though, the, the, the one match went 37 minutes, uh, plus all the video packages and all the other longer matches. So very, very, very um, newsworthy pay-per-view, in my opinion. Especially that, I mean, you, you go back and look at that first, read that first match, all on the same team. Brutus, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat. Man, talk about star power on one side. That, that's a very underrated Survivor Series team, in my opinion. A lot of people, you, you, see, you, you see people say who has the best Survivor Series team of all times. And a lot of people say the one that had Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Demolition. That's like a, a powerhouse team, right? I, I would like to ask you, too, before you get off and anyone else on hold, what is your favorite all-time tag team uh, or team at the Survivor Series? Uh, I'm going to ask you as well, uh, Brian. All right, Matt, what do you think? Wow. Um, that's a that's a fantastic question. And um I I've I've always kind of preferred the original, the eighty seven, the one the topic today, as opposed you know, they switched to the four man teams. Um I can't remember, was it just the following year, eighty eight? I I don't remember. But I was kind of partial, you know, to the original and, and I would say that the babyface team on the what I what I affectionately call the the intercontinental match, um, that that was probably the team that was my favorite. Um, but I, I would just I would tell you I, you know I would look at the juxtaposition of that the, what happened at the end of that match and the and the main event one where you've got you know um, Bam Bam facing off against three people, but at the end of the what I call the intercontinental match, Honky Tonk Man was facing the same the same thing versus three people, one on three. And he just took off and said, I'm out of here. It, you know, it's subtle, but him doing that makes Bam Bam standing his ground and taking on three guys even more powerful, in my opinion. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll say the, the baby face team on the Intercontinental match is, my, is probably one of my favorite Survivor Series teams. Um, and, and, and Tommy... Best of luck to you next week. I know you got your hands full, uh, but I'm sure it will be a successful uh, conversion. And I've got my I've got my tickets. 80s Wrestling Con five. I'm in. I will see you in the spring, my friend. Awesome, man. And uh, when tickets go on sale for the ISPW show immediately following 80s Wrestling Con, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm excited you're coming down, man. I'm looking forward to meeting you. And uh, we're definitely going to have some. 
uh, 80s wrestling podcast event going on during 80s wrestling kind of 100%. Uh, when I figure out what that is, you, you'll definitely be a part of it. Uh, thank you very much also for the kind words for our uh, grand opening next Friday, Black Friday at the Wrestling Collector. It's now going to be called the Rock and Wrestling Collector. Uh, it's going to be opening on Black Friday. Uh, the story now is complete shambles. <laughs> we're middle. We're literally tearing it apart and redoing stuff right now as we speak. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's busy busy week here. Tomorrow we have a big ISPW show in West Milford, New Jersey, at St. Joseph's uh, Church Parish Hall. The main event will be for the ISPW heavyweight title. It will be the superstar, Danny Morrison, going one-on-one with Crowbar. Now, talk about a newsworthy match. This is a former ECW heavyweight champion, I'm sorry, Tyson champion, taking on a multi-time WCW champion. Crowbar was the cruiserweight champion, hardcore champion, and tag team champion. So in 2023, you have an ECW title holder and a WCW title holder wrestling for a ISW heavyweight title. So I think it's pretty cool. Tickets are available right now on ISPWWrestling.com. Again, it's tomorrow night, and it will be at St. Joseph's Church Powers Hall in West Milford, New Jersey. Matt, thank you, brother. We will talk to you next week here on the podcast, my friend. Sounds good. Brian? Always excited to have you on the show. Great job, as always. Glad to talk to you guys. Thank you, Matt. Take care. Later, brother. All right. All right. So my switchboard operation, I cut Matt off just at the end there. Sorry about that, Matt. But we got a lot of callers on hold, so I'm going to jump right into the next one. Looks like we've got the guy waiting longest is uh, Firefighter Brian. So we're going to go to the firehouse right now for Firefighter Brian. Good morning, Firefighter Brian. How you doing, my friend? Good morning, gentlemen. How's everything? Great. How What's you up, doing? buddy? How are you? Can't complain. Can't complain. I, you know, Tommy. Uh, I tell you, we, we, I say this uh, quite a bit. Showing your class once again. Uh, having Brian as a co-host, but having him man the ship. When you've, uh, been, how long have you guys been doing this show? A little over two years, I think. Right. He'll be at three oh, years yeah, in January, I believe. Three years, yeah, man. No, listen, I, I know I know my role. I know Jumpin' Jay is the host of this podcast. He's taking Jumpin' Jay's place, not my place, so that uh, makes him the, the host of the show. I, I know my role when it comes to the podcast world. Jumpin' and, Jay and, you know, is I, like superstar Billy Graham, but he did not get a broken hip. He's just on uh, vacation, so I'm filling the role of Magnificent The Rock, Don Morocco, and just filling in for the Survivor Series here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy, Brian. My God. Um, and, and, I, and I will say this. I, I love the show. I love calling in. But Babyface is the number one fan. I, I don't think there's any uh, disputing that. But um, Survivor Series 87. Uh, you know what? This is a show that what I love about this show and about this topic is this is a show that stands the test of time. You know, some shows, you watch them today and you're like, eh, um, whether it be the wrestling, whether it be the production, whether it be whatever, this is a show that stands the test of time. You can watch this today and it's as good as ever. Um, the wrestling is great. I love the, I've been screaming for years how to bring Survivor Series back. Whoever came up with the idea to abandon all elimination matches should be shot. It was a, what I loved about it was it was different. It was new and different and fresh. It gave the titles a rest. The titles don't need to be defended every single pay-per-view. Okay? It was, um, I, I think they need to, I definitely think they need to go back to that. Um, I like the War Games concept. Um, I do like that. But let NXT have that. They brought that back. Let them have it. Go back to all elimination matches. It will be interesting to see somebody like Roman Reigns tag with somebody not in the bloodline. So it gives some interesting scenarios. And like you said, uh, Tommy, like Survivor Series 88, 
You had uh, the Red Rooster in the main event. Hillbilly Jim was in the main event. You know, you're giving people a chance, which uh, um, which I like. So um, I thought, again, Survivor Series stands the test of time. Um, the, t- the three quick things I want to touch on, number one, everything was good from top to bottom. Tommy, you brought up how they did a whole repackaging of uh, Ted DiBiase. They showed all the big nets. Um, you know, a review of everything you've seen from him, plus some new stuff. And uh, for those who didn't know, that house he was in during that segment, that was Vince's house. It was Vince's car. It was Vince's fur coat. Um, and I remember them showing, I had seen the part with the basketball and the push-ups and all that. Uh, but my dad and uh, uncle and all the guys in the room, they hadn't seen that. When Ted says to that kid, you don't get the money, the guys are like, damn. But um, it was the uh, greatest heel of all time, Ted DiBiase. But, um, but yeah, it was uh, – a, and I like the tag team match. I understand Pritchard complains about this all the time. It was a lot of humanity and uh, uh, masculinity in one ring. You couldn't really see much because you had guys surrounding the ring. Today's technology, they can work around that. And um, another team I want to talk about, uh, my first call to this show, which was uh, about a year ago, when you talked about underrated tag teams, I brought up the Jumping Bomb Angels. How awesome were they? How great were the, were the Jumping Bomb Angels? They, they knocked the, uh, the socks off of Jesse Ventura, and if, when you watch that uh, match back now, not only did they do great, Velvet McIntyre did great, and I felt like that entire card, everybody was performing with their uh, cohorts, with their, uh, their fellow wrestlers, and I felt like everybody kind of stepped up their game to try and steal the show a bit and show the other guys around them what they could do. So great point on Jumping Bomb Angels. Um, we've got a ton of callers, so let me ask you both a quick question before I sure. let you go, Brian. Um, for me, on the West Coast, this fell at 4 o'clock. For you guys out on the East Coast, it was at 7 o'clock at night. I'm guessing you guys were all done with Thanksgiving, but for me, I, right. I want to say we actually started eating and brought our plates down and watched the television and ate Thanksgiving dinner with Survivor Series, which was pretty crazy. So I'm wondering if you guys had your whole families watching or if uh, everybody kind of left the room and if you guys were by yourselves watching Survivor Series. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking him. Uh, I, I, I know that we're definitely done eating dinner by then. I don't really remember because I was so young, but I, I, typically we would eat dinner late afternoon. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, how cool was it as kids, and, and all three of us can, can attest to this, waking up. like First of all, as a, as a child, when you wake up and it's a holiday, no matter what holiday it is, whether it's Halloween or Easter or Thanksgiving or Christmas or Fourth of July, as a child waking up knowing it's a special day, it's not just an average day, you're already so excited to begin with. Like, even to this day, when you wake up and it's like, I don't, I don't get excited for pay-per-views anymore, but WrestleMania is WrestleMania. It's still WrestleMania. So, yeah, I get excited for WrestleMania days. Imagine as a kid, we're all kids. We're already super excited because it's Thanksgiving, right? But now, not only is it just Thanksgiving, it is the thing that we all love the most in the entire world, WWF Wrestling Live on pay-per-view the night of Thanksgiving. I mean, as a child, you couldn't ask for anything more than that, right? Totally. And then, uh, Brian, were you watching along with uh, uh, several family members, or was little firefighter Brian watching by himself? I think you said you had some family there. (laughs) No, we... um... Yeah, it was it was after dinner. You know, we uh, Tommy and I are on the same uh, time zone, so uh, actually, you, you bring back a really great memory. We had Thanksgiving at my grandmother's, and then uh, we were I thought we were going home, and my mother said we're going to Aunt Andrea's to watch wrestling. I had no idea, and so think of what a just how happy I was. You know, I'm seeing the first Survivor Series with my cousins seeing it live, 
and uh you know so me my cousins my brother and you know my dad and uh, uncle and a bunch of other uh, guys were all in the room and it was a really cool uh cool memory and um you know i did i did like it thanksgiving night i thought it was a little better having it the night before thanksgiving people always ask me what's your favorite thing about thanksgiving i would always say survivor series um you know i didn't like how they moved it to, you know, the traditional Sundays like every other pay-per-view. I thought having it Thanksgiving night or the night before Thanksgiving, you know, kind of made it stand out, made it special. And, uh, Brian, you did a great job explaining why Vince came up with Survivor Series to uh, combat uh, Starcade. And uh, that was the uh, – that was kind of the first shot with the with – the, uh, with the takeover, with Vince's takeover, and I do not think at all that Vince Sr. would do that. Vince was very respectful to his competitors because he knew everybody helps each other. But um, last thing I want to say is, you know, when you, uh, you know, we talked about the voices of wrestling uh, a while back, um, Monsoon Ventura were so on the money that night. They did a great job with that show. And when uh, Honky walked out, Jesse says, well, if Honky gets hurt oh, in a three-on-one disadvantage and he misses enough time, he may have to relinquish the title. So now Hogan and Bam Bam, they're down three-on-two, and Jesse says, maybe Hogan will do what Honky did and, and get up and leave. And Monsoon says, he will not. So uh, it was, uh, again, if the people who haven't seen the show or haven't seen it in a while or uh, just looking for something to do Thanksgiving night or whatever, great show, 87 and 88. And 87 Survivor Series, that might have been the start to the Big Four because that's when they started the Rumble and SummerSlam. That might be when Vince said, you know what, this may be the way to go. Let's have more of these shows. So. Uh, with that, um, yeah, listen, great talking to you guys. I want to wish you both a very happy Thanksgiving to you, your families, everybody listening. God bless. And, um, and Tommy, all the best uh, next Friday. Good luck. And uh, I will uh, talk to you guys hopefully in two weeks, okay? Thank you, Brian. Take care and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless. All right, Tommy, we've got uh, five oh, real, callers. Real, real they've quick, all, been, me, on, me, they've me, all been on hold for jump, over 20 minutes. Let me just jump in real quick. There will there will be an episode next week of 80s Wrestling the Podcast. It's going to be on Wednesday on Thanksgiving Eve. We have a little, we have a little Thanksgiving party here next week on the podcast. So uh, rest assured, I know everyone knows that next Thursday is Thanksgiving. We are going to do an episode next Wednesday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Awesome. That sounds great. So uh, we've got five callers on the line. If Tommy has to leave at 10, I'll make sure everybody gets on and stay a little bit late. Um, I mean, if he has to leave at 11 a.m. to open the store, I'm on the uh, West Coast, so my time is a little off. But we'll try to get to all of you here. And uh, next up on the line, uh, looks like we've got a call from New Jersey. I don't want to mess your name up, so let me get you on the phone here. All right, caller. Thank you. Uh, who have we got on the phone? Where are you from? This is Rostafa from Western Orange, New Jersey. How you doing? Great. Thanks for calling hey, what's in this up, morning, man? Rostafa. What's going on, zombie boy? Been a minute. Yeah, man. How you been, brother? All right? Oh, man, dude. I literally had to jump on this call because the moment LaGreca on Busted Open started saying that the Eagles were the worst and he put over Taylor Swift, Staying Alive, and uh, <laughs> Afternoon Delight, I had to leave, bro. It was horrible. It was. <laughs> I'll be sure to yeah, tell him that tomorrow at ISPW. You, you, need to, you need to explain to the rest of America why LaGreca it, it literally had to say that to the point where literally my ears are bleeding. My ears are bleeding, sir. I'm, I don't know how to stop this. But at any rate, at any rate Tommy, I wanted to get uh, with Survivor Series real quick and kind of, you know, try not to be as long as a hillbilly Jim Hall of Fame speech, but I'll be as it may. Do you feel that Survivor Series has lost a lot of its 
I don't know, like a lot of the original sort of kind of aspects of what made Survivor Series Survivor Series. I mean, within the past, like, you know, decade and a half, we've had Raw versus SmackDown, you know, elimination matches. But for me, I didn't necessarily care about brand supremacy. I mainly cared about, you know, teams that are willing and able to, you know, kind of either uh, exceed a rivalry or, you know, have a rivalry completely be over with based on the tag teams that were combined and to go on against whatever heel tag team that there was. So I get the sense that, yes, I love war games, and, yes, I believe that it's definitely a Survivor Series sort of kind of tradition in a way because it's become that way over the past number of years. Uh, It's just, for me, I just get the sense that it's just lost a lot of its oomph. It's lost a lot of its grandeur because – of lost art form that is the elimination tag match. What are your thoughts on it? Hey, Tommy, is it okay if I could take this first? Sure. All right, so my feeling on this, uh, Brian uh, brought it up a little bit. Rostafa, I'm glad you, you really brought it up. But um, back in 87, 88, 89, it was okay to have guys have quick exits, to have a lot of count-out DQ-type finishes. A finisher meant something, and you could uh, knock somebody out of the match in a hurry. With all the false finishes and long matches going on today, I feel like they only feel that they can do one Survivor Series match per big pay-per-view, and I could be wrong on this, but I feel like they don't want to give away a bunch of cheap pinfalls currently with the way that all the matches are just structured where you kick out of everything. So, like I say, maybe I'm I'm wrong. I just think the business has changed so much that back in 87 – uh, you could have something like a, a quick roll-up eliminate somebody from out of nowhere, and it didn't hurt their character so much, whereas now it's virtually impossible to, uh, to knock somebody out of a match, uh, and they don't. That's just my, my guess, so I don't know. I'll let Tommy chime in and see what Rostafa thinks on that as well. Let, give me a favor. Let him answer you first, because I, like I like this conversation. I don't care that it's a little over time. Uh, we can we can go to show a little bit later. I want to hear his response personally, and I I loved your reasoning. I'm not sure if that's the reason why, but it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. But I want to hear his response first. Yes, sir. Yeah, there are a lot of false finishes, but the thing is, even with a false finish, you still have to use psychology, and psychology unfortunately has been thrown out the window because there's very little rules to break anymore. For example, like, you know, back in, back in the day, even before, you know, I even was even born or, you know, wrestling was even considered, like, thought process how a match was going from bell to bell. Like, you try to bring somebody outside the ring and you hit their head on the ring post, that was a DQ. Or if you were to take liberties by not really using the referee for what, you know, used for them, because, again, referees didn't necessarily play along that much with the act unless it was absolutely 100% approved uh, by the promoter then, you know, again, you can't necessarily do tactical things to, like, you know, to your baby face if you're a heel and not get DQ'd or whatever, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of these rules that are not being uh, upheld. I mean, even in modern wrestling, a lot of rules are thrown out the window for whatever reason I do not know. And I also think it also comes down to booking because these days the way that baby faces and heels are booked are not necessarily as it was 20, 30 years ago. It's more or less kind of like, what, you know, what are their merchandise sales numbers are? What are their uh, social media numbers are? And it's really dictated by other analytics that have nothing to do with the concept of the story that's being told in the ring. That's just my opinion. What are your guys' thoughts? That's great. I, 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 I think both of you guys, I, I, I listen, I want to see, I, I, there's nothing more I like listening to is, an educated conversation for professional wrestling. And you guys are doing that right now. That's why I wanted him to go first. I agree with both of you guys. I think both are very valid reasons. And for me to just chime in real quick, uh, my, my thing, I, yeah, I don't think it, I think it lost a lot of the lackluster that it did over the last decade or two. As a kid, I loved the fact that you didn't know how your, you know, you had like these, these top baby faces that you liked as a kid growing up. And you never saw them interact with each other on the screen. So say, for example, and I'm just using this as, as an example, to say, you know, L.A. Knight has to, you know, co- figure out a way to coincide with, you know, Seth Rollins 
or you know whoever whoever it is like whoever other big star that they that they didn't have that much TV time together over the last six months. But to me, that was the appeal as a kid, and I want to get your your guys' thought on this as well. Like I was super excited when two baby faces joined forces that you didn't typically see together on WWF programming and made it seem more special. And I think that's what you're trying to drive at, right? Yeah. I, I think, honestly, that's just the thing. It's like you have these unpredictable personalities that, yeah, they could be baby faces, but how do they gel, especially if they had history with one being a heel at one point and the baby face, and how does that come out of the pay-per-view as well or the PLE, whatever you want to call it? Because ultimately the story, you know, Triple H said it after the press conference in WrestleMania this year where he said, you know, the story continues. And that's what's also lacking is they don't know a month, two months, a year. And that's also the other problem where we have all these big stories, which are great, but all these little stories. I mean, dude, even when I was watching in the Attitude Era, despite the fact that not every storyline was usually the greatest, but again, you still realize that a lot of these stories interlocked with other stories that were major, which made the show almost like a seamless thread that you couldn't wait to what happened next. So that's also the other problem that I'm having where we're so concentrated on the bigger picture, which is usually how a wrestling show is supposed to be, but all these little stories, like, you know, your E-list stories, your D-list stories, your C-list stories, don't mean as much. And it's a shame because everybody that you should be viewing on your TV set should matter because they're supposed to be larger than life. And the fact that rules are not being as upheld or they're being broken, especially with the referee, like that's another major problem. And I feel like we need to really get back to like rules being actually implemented and referees getting in the faces of the boys, especially when like, you know, again, even if it's, you know, again, you're working, you got to be able to understand that you've got to uphold some type of authority, especially when everybody just wants to, you know, again, not just, and, you know, break on the count of five. But even when it comes to false finishes, like, you know, you really got to make sure that false finishes are not, you know, 20 times in a single match, no matter how good it is. That's just my opinion. Great call, Rostafa. Um, thank you so much for all your input. Have a uh, – uh, hopefully we'll have you back, and I'll be back on Wednesday next week. Um, I got uh, five guys, and many of them have been on hold for over half an hour. So uh, I want to thank you again for calling. Um and uh, tell you, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. And, Tommy, when you get back on with Greca, you need to literally put him in place. Like, how dare he? How dare he, sir? <laughs> I'll, I'll be telling him tomorrow. He'll be, at, uh, he'll be at the show, man. If you can make it out, come out tomorrow night. Okay, Let's go I'll try my best. Thank you, Tommy. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, you too, brother. Thanks, man. All right, Tommy. Uh, Rostov had some great points, but uh, let me get to the guy that's been waiting longest. Let's look and talk to our friend from Butler, Danny. Danny from Butler, how you doing today, my friend? Baby face, Brian, Tommy, always a pleasure. Uh, you know, tremendous topic. Uh, oh, I, I should have known better. I looked at uh, actually uh, how funny was it a couple of days ago. I'm uh, cleaning out. Uh, some uh, some of my uh, stuff and uh, what do I uh, come across the the original 1987 uh, Survivor Series program that I purchased at your shop, Tommy, uh, about a uh, half ago or so. Right. So uh, we couldn't uh, perfect perfect topic uh, than uh, you know the original Survivor Series since you know it's that time of year coming on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, as far as the event, I think they. Uh, you know, I, I think they did a great job. You know, you're coming off of the momentum, what was WrestleMania three, uh, the whole, you know, that whole year, 1987, uh, was pretty much, a, you know, groundbreaking for uh, professional wrestling, uh, you know, with the success that they had at WrestleMania three, uh, the whole, uh, the format of the, you know, the, the teams, the, the five on fives, whoever's idea was, I thought, uh, I don't know whether it was uh, Pat Patterson or whatnot, I, mean, I think it was a tremendous idea. Um, as far as the, the teams that, you know, that were in the event, I would have to say, I have to, you know, piggyback off one of the, uh, the first callers, 
my favorite team would have to be the Randy Savage uh, led team. You know, you look at that that uh, the talent on on that team. You know, that's uh, I think there are every single one of them. They're Hall of Famers, and just a tremendous uh, lineup there. You look at the pairings, and you know, Randy's team. Obviously, you had Randy, you had Jake, you had uh, Steamboat, and uh, Beefcake. We all have fused with the Honky Tonk Man. And you look at uh, just how, you know, a year ago, it was uh, Randy and uh, Steamboat going at it. You know, Randy uh, dropping the time people's bell on, on Steamboat's throat. And then you always also had uh, Jake uh, uh, about a year earlier DDTing him on the concrete on the Saturday night's main event. So you had all these guys that were rivals now on the same on the same team. And if you remember, I believe uh, it was supposed to be Junkyard Dog on that team instead of Ricky Steamboat. For whatever reason, uh, JYD was taken off, and Steamboat had just finished his uh, his uh, sabbatical after he dropped the title to Honky uh, and took the time off uh, to be with his uh, wife and uh, and his, uh, his his firstborn child. So. That was a, a tremendous uh, storyline. I thought uh, the actual main event with uh, Hogan's team, you know, they definitely uh, put a lot of steam behind Bam Bam when he first came in. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, it was very, you know, you you were surprised to see Hogan get eliminated by, the, I don't know if it was a disqualification, and have Bam Bam almost uh, barely pull it out himself. And you saw the, you know, the steam coming uh you see, you see the gears in motion for the eventual Hogan and Andre uh, main uh, rematch that would uh, happen sometime in February in '88. Um, overall, a great show. Uh, like I said, it was a, a great first one. One of the, you know, I definitely it was a definitely a show that withstands the test of time. And uh, like I said, I I would like to see it go back to its original roots instead of what uh, they have. Uh, Recently, I, I like the War Games idea. It's from last year and then going into this year, but uh, definitely, uh, it definitely could be a lot better as it was uh, when we were growing up. Yeah, I love that you brought up the uh, Steamboat Savage and uh, Jake Roberts. Those three, I mean, Savage and uh, Jake Roberts had uh, had fought on the previous year years. Uh, late November Saturday night's main event in a great heel versus heel match for the IC title. Uh, Jake and Ricky, of course, in May of 86 at the Saturday night's main event. Jake got him the DDT on the concrete. And, of course, Ricky and uh, Randy with their history. It was pretty crazy to see these guys who were all turned, um, uh, who were all baby faces at this time, but had violently feuded against each other, come together and create such a great team. And, and like uh, Tommy was mentioning earlier, Honky Tonk, the, both everybody mentioning earlier, Honky Tonk, man, uh, just leaving as a cowardly heel and then uh, coming on at intermission and being interviewed out in front of the crowd, it really kind of built up Honky Tonk Man as far as being just that really hateable guy and, the, and really great heel character in the minds of uh, the audience of all of us fans. So um, thanks for, uh, for calling again, Danny. We love talking to you. Um, Tommy, what are your thoughts on, uh, on what Danny had to say and on uh, – uh, the teams, oh, like Horndorf being with Hogan. Yeah, man, I always listen to Danny and always enjoy his perspective. Again, it was so different back then, and uh, it goes back to the last caller about just losing its, you know, its special, its lackluster of what it used to be. Like, it was so, it was like, it was kind of like back then. Danny, you still with me, Danny, or no? He is. We just had a little yeah, bit of feedback. Here he is. Yeah. Okay, so I'm here. Real I'm quickly, like, listening. what what was it? What was it about Survivor Series at you as a kid that captivated you so much? We were just having this conversation with the last caller. I just want to get your point of view. Like, what made it so special for you? Was it the fact that it was your favorite guys that you're not used to seeing on TV join forces, take on the bad guys? Like, what was the original appeal of Survivor Series for you? I, I just thought, you know, you're looking at a, you know, it's, you know, I, I was at six years old at the time. You're just looking at, obviously, you know, it's always a, 
good and bad, you know, baby faces in the heel. Now you're just adding more, you know, you know, it's, I, I guess you could almost consider it as a, as an all-star game in a way, almost, uh, you go on, like I said, fantasy matchups, you know, good, good and bad, you know, and, uh, you throw in the, you know, there could be a, a five on one. It could be, you know, go down to three on one and you know what, it's just, the. Uh, you know, say so you 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 re, you you building up the suspense. You know, you how you you had almost eight months that that uh, lapsed between Hogan and Andre at WrestleMania three, and to finally see Andre come back after all this time, you knew that eventually they were gonna you know build on something big, and you uh, realized, like I said, I as much as I couldn't, I despise the honky tonk man. I gotta uh, agree with uh, Babyface Brian. Uh, you know, the, you know they, they made him out to be that, you know, part of my language, the chicken shit uh, champion that, you know, always did whatever he did, could to hold that title by hook or crook. But it made him, you know, it garnered the heat, especially after him pushing down Miss Elizabeth at the a month earlier at 39th main event. It just, made, you know, made that ire more for people to come out and eventually want to see him lose. But you got to give him credit. He definitely got the heat and he drew, you know, he definitely was able to draw people to get in. And uh, you either felt like it was either going to be Steamboat eventually or whether it was Savage or even Jake that were eventually going to get that uh, that belt off of him. So it was uh, just, uh, you know, anticipation of the moment of what, you know, you didn't know what you're going to have. And you knew uh, going forward, it, it, you know, like I said, you just, you know, I think, you know, they always say that the Royal Rumble is the, you look at it as the start of the WrestleMania, the, the, the countdown of WrestleMania. I think it, it, back then it kind of started with the Survivor Series because the Royal Rumble was just around the corner before, you know, but when it, with the, its original inception. So that's my whole take on, you know, my first thoughts of the Survivor Series. I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get to watch it, you know, when it came out, but I, you know, eventually got the VHS. And, you know, I actually rented it, but, yeah, it was a – you know, just an anticipation of uh, just seeing, you know, all the guys, you know, at, at the same time in the ring at once, you know, you know, like uh, the, the five or five uh, combinations. Thanks so much for your call, Danny. Tell uh, Lucas, the guys at 80s Wrestling, say hi, and I hope you guys are going to uh, enjoy watching wrestling together uh, coming up here, and, uh, and uh, we will talk to you hopefully Wednesday, and I look forward to hearing you on the show. I, always a pleasure, guys. You guys, uh, if you know, if I don't able, to, if I'm not able to talk to you guys, have a, a, a tremendous uh, Thanksgiving. Have a, a very uh, safe one, and uh, you guys uh, continue to hit it out of the ballpark and uh, have a great weekend. Thank you, you too, man. Thank you, brother. All right, we're uh, rounding the corner, and we've got. Uh, uh, I, I do want to point out that uh, uh, having the heel team win the main event. What a cool move, having uh, Andre go over and kind of shock the crowd. They got to see three babyface teams win the first three matches, but they uh, they get Andre built up again towards that uh, title change coming February 5th, towards that Royal Rumble, which, uh, again, Vince built out of necessity using Pat Patterson's idea to combat the next pay-per-view from NWA, which was the Bunkhouse Brawl. So the first Royal Rumble, just free TV on USA Network to, to combat that. But that gets us that, that third leg of the Big Four. And then that, you know, 1988 SummerSlam end of August, there's where we get the fourth one. Um, but coming up next, we've got a five-star five star caller on the line. We're looking at the number one ISPW fan. We've, uh, we'd like to welcome to the show Toto with Tom. Tom, how are you doing this morning? You guys realize the honor that you were given today that was bestowed upon you when Rostafa called into this show? Finally, some class on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Rostafa, like Toto with Tom, is a top caller in the Busted Open Nation, and I hope to hear from him soon again. Now, I have had shorter Thanksgiving dinners than Firefighter Brian's phone calls into this show. Dave Meltzer called me up this week. <laughs> Dave Meltzer called me up and said, listen, he says, I don't know how it was possible 
but last week when the firefighter was hosting the podcast, he actually had less airtime than when he calls into the podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> but I'm fun. Oh, man. Hey, listen, Tommy, quickly, before we talk about Survivor Series, you know I'm at the in the front row of every single ISPW show. That's what the Front Row Mafia is about. You know I'm the first in line for every event that Busted Open hosts. You know I'm usually first in line for everything that you do. What time is your store opening on Black Friday? Because I want to be the first in line. That's awesome, man. Uh, 10 a.m. I'll be there at 7. (laughs) Ah, Awesome, man. You know, I was doing a deep dive with this Survivor Series talk, 1987, and I came across a video. This is not too off topic, but I just want to bring it up. Um, There's a video where Andre the Giant was given a trophy on Piper's Pit. He was uh, declared, I guess, the best wrestler, you know, in the WWF. And all of a sudden, you see Hulk Hogan, come out from the back just as Andre was about to talk and Hogan takes all the attention from Andre and brings all the attention onto him and I'm watching that and I'm saying to myself what a heelish move by Hogan this is the start of the Andre Hogan feud because Andre gets disgusted with Hogan putting all the attention on him, and Andre turns around and leaves Piper's pit. I have not seen that in 30 years, and it didn't resonate with me like it does today, that Hogan was the heel at the beginning of what is probably the greatest booking decision ever made by a promoter, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Your take. Uh, I'll go first, and I agree with you. And uh, yeah, the uh, that led to Hogan getting a bigger trophy. You know, he probably got in Tony's ear and said, uh, "Cool that you gave Andre a trophy. I want a bigger one." That's, I'm sure that's what happened. And uh, before that, Bobby Heenan had gotten in Andre's ear, I'm sure, because supposedly he was the only one at the hearing that. Uh, uh, Jack Tunney had to reinstate Andre from the suspension he had while Andre was uh, uh, dressing up as the giant machine and in uh, in real life filming Princess Bride around that time. But uh, Heenan got in his ear, I'm sure, and said, Hogan never offered you a title shot. So he gets this trophy for being undefeated for, I think they said, 15 years, for all these years. And just like you said, Hogan comes out and steals his thunder and the following week gets a bigger trophy and it leads to probably the biggest uh, big fight feel in uh, WWF, WWE history, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Uh, Tommy, you were there for the actual turn when uh, Andre ripped the cross off of Hogan's chest. What are your feelings about this this topic? Oh, man. One of, if not the the greatest storyline in the history of wrestling. How can you not absolutely love it, man? I, I agree with everything that Tom said in when you said, Tom, tomorrow, real quick, cheap plug for ISPW in West Milford, New Jersey, at St. Joseph's Church, Parish Hall. Anyone that listens to the show that goes to this particular venue, it's always on fire, especially with the the Front Row Mafia uh, making a ton of noise. What are you excited to see about tomorrow, Tom, and what is your predictions uh, for the show? I'm very excited to see Dave LaGreca unveil his new protege, Ray Calitri. Ray Calitri is the ISPW, um, what would you call it, Tommy? You, you, tri-state champion? Yeah, he is the tri-state ISPW tri-state, tri-state champion. I'm very interested to see those two pair up, as well as their opponent, who is new to ISPW, Marcus Mathers, who I have seen on the independent circuit, and he is a stud. I will say that. The other match I'm really looking forward to, of course, is the heavyweight championship, which will be defended by our boy, Danny Morrison. Yes, Tommy, I am on Team Danny again. Team Danny, Team Danny and the Front Row Mafia will be cheering for him tomorrow night as he defends his title against another veteran, uh, one of the greatest, uh, you know, in independent wrestling this past year, Crowbar. 
Provar has elevated his game to unprecedented, you know, lengths this year. He has had some of the best matches in his 30-year career in 2023. Those would be the top two matches I'm really, really looking forward to. Absolutely, man. And that's probably the top two matches. However, also uh, GKM against Sean Donovan in a no-holds-bar match. And then this week, a lot of talking back and forth between Joey Ace and Rick Recon. It's all going to come to a head with those two guys tomorrow. Tickets are still available, ISPWWrestling.com. Doors open 6.30. Show starts 7.30. Total with Tom, as always, thank you so much, man. I look forward to seeing you at West Milford tomorrow night, my friend. You got it. Tom, great to talk to you again. Thank you. So, Tommy, uh, I want to go over, I don't know if Tom's still on the line, but I just wanted to hit a couple things about Survivor Series that are pretty crazy to think about. Uh, The youngest performers wrestling that night were the Jumping Bomb Angels. They were 21 years old. The oldest performer that night was Fabulous Moolah, who was 54 years old. But uh, believe it or not, uh, Harley Race and Ken Patera were each only 44. So when you look at uh, how old we are now, and, uh, you know, you have a baby face like I do, uh, both of those guys look far older than we do. The uh, youngest guy on the, uh, on the, men, on the men's side was, uh, uh, I believe, it was Bam Bam at 26 years old. So it's just kind of funny looking at the uh, the ages of these guys back then, um, and 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 how I don't know they just everybody looked older back then. Actually, the youngest was Davy Boy Smith, 24 years old back then. So kind of cool stuff. Well, that's, awesome that's because back, that's because back then men men were men back then, right? So even though they were in their 20s and only 30s, they look like they're 50 because you know what? Also because when we were kids. They were such larger than life, right? So, like, it's weird. You know, it is funny. You look back and you see their ages then. Like, Harley Race is only 44. He said, there, I'm 46, and I look 20 years younger than Harley Race does. And that, exactly. that. So, I'm saying, listen, again, these guys are on the road 350 days a year. Uh, so, it's a lot different now. I mean, yeah, everything's a lot different. But uh, great conversation today, man. I really enjoyed it. I loved hearing the – insight of all the callers out there and uh yeah man anything else you want to hit before we wrap it up or are you good no, that was the, rule. That, oh there he is awesome glad he still had him totally Tom there you go. hey uh thank you so much uh, uh tommy um if anybody wants to check out the podcast i uh i just wrapped up season one of legendary wrestling figures it's spelled with a j in there so ljn is on it but uh if they do listen to uh Episode 59, I've got Tommy Fierro as a guest, and uh, what a what a wonder, actually, I think it's episode 58, but Tommy Fierro, look for it. It's an awesome hour-long interview where Tommy rates all the nine original LJN figures, and I get a lot of his backstory that led him to being the promoter of ISPW, a guy who's been running wrestling conventions since age 16, the owner of the Rock and Wrestling Collector, and just a fan since being a little kid. So got to check out that episode. And then if you want to check out episode 60, where we take all dozen guests and figure out how the uh, nine figures rank, there's a little contest on there where I'm giving away a couple hand-painted figures. So uh, Legendary Wrestling Figures podcast, check it out if you get a chance. Uh, Tommy, thanks so much for letting me be a a host on here with you today. And uh, all the continued success in the world to you, my friend. Really appreciate you. Yeah, man. And and real quick, uh, we appreciate you as well, by the way. Uh, Real quick, plug your Twitter handle so all of our listeners out there can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, check out at 80 underscore wrestling. And uh, you can see... A lot of the, I've done 111 repaints of LJN figures, so I post those all the time. I usually post something this day in history with LJN figures, and I usually have a poll up every day that you can check out as well. So at 80 underscore wrestling on X Twitter. And uh, uh, thanks again, Tommy. Great topic. Um, I hope you guys get all the work you've got in front of you done in plenty of time for the grand opening of the Rock and Wrestling Collector on Black Friday next week. 
Thanks, man. And we'll be talking more about that on uh, the Thanksgiving Eve episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. We're going to have a Thanksgiving party, so uh, we will check you out here next week, Brian, and everyone out there at home. I hope you guys have a great weekend. And anyone that lives in the New Jersey area, come out tomorrow night, ISPW on November 17th in West Milford, New Jersey, ISPWWrestling.com. And uh, until then, we'll catch you here next week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.